Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of our read-through of The Lord of the Rings, The Old Forest. Chapter 6. In this chapter, we see the hobbits wake up early to leave Crick Hollow, enter into the old forest on their way to the road to Bree. In the old forest, it is ominous and it is spooky. The trees dislike intruders, and the trees move to block the path of our company when they aren't being looked at. The hobbits eventually sit down to nap under a willow tree, and Merry and Pippin are actually swallowed into the, the trunk of the tree. Frodo, in a panic, runs out and yells, Help! Help! Uh, and out comes the weirdest character in the book, Tom Bombadil, who saves the hobbits by commanding the tree to let them go. And following this, he mysteriously leads them to his house. And that is chapter six. He mysteriously leads them? He does mysteriously lead them because uh, they start to follow him and then he kind of runs ahead and then he's oh, kind of true. standing at the door with a golden beam of light, you know, as he... I, I would say it's fairly mysterious. Fair enough, fair enough. His whole character, of course, is probably the most mysterious character in the entire book and we'll probably talk more about him next chapter, but we'll, we'll definitely give him some discussion this in this chapter as well. The, the amount of ink spilled about Tom Bombadil both in print and digitally is incredible. I mean, this is this is one of the most discussed characters, I think, in the entire book. And uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to talking about him or if I'm dreading it. But <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Here, here we he are. Is. So let's let's get to it. But but first, I guess let's actually talk about the, the chapter is called The Old Forest. And that's really the main uh, that, that's the heart of the chapter, more so than Tom Bombadil himself, who I think plays a bigger role in the next chapter. But my initial thoughts on this on, on this chapter and on the Old Forest are, one, this is actually when I get sort of frustrated with the geography of of the book, because we talked about last chapter that it we start to finally feel like, oh, you know, I need a map. I need to look at the Atlas of Middle-earth and, and figure out just where is Buckland and Crick Hollow and these places. And then we get to the Old Forest, where there is no good map of it. You just have a sort of blob that's in the middle of these regions in the in all the maps we have. And there's no good indication for exactly where the hobbits are. And that's, I think, deliberate, right? Because right. they go into this forest and it's like a maze and they end up just always being drawn to the strangest, most sort of surreal part of the forest regardless of what they want to do and so you're not really supposed to you're supposed to feel lost right you're not supposed to know where they are or where you are as a reader so I, I get that that's deliberate but i do get some sometimes frustrated reading this chapter of like where are they exactly right. i don't know they're just in the middle of this forest and ah drive me a little crazy sometimes yeah i completely agree i feel like for the most part, when people complain about you know the Lord of the Rings just being it was just a bunch of hiking or it's just a, a bunch of description of scenery, I uh, you know kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. But you know when I get to the old forest, I kind of like like silently to myself think like ah oh, you know where where are these these hobbits? Ah, except they're <laughs> like, not hiking, right? Oh, you know they aren't up, though. No, they're riding, or at least they're yeah. This the is ponies, one right? of the few chapters where they get they're riding on ponies instead of walking so all these critics they don't know what they're talking about they didn't they didn't take into account chapter six uh where they are writing instead of walking so but i know what you mean yeah but let's talk about about these woods the old forest 
it's really the the first it's the first antagonist that they come face to face with in a sense because they have the black riders before but they're really just trying to not interact with the black riders at all um yeah. and, and they never i mean there's never a mutual recognition there right, right. there's never a, an instance where yeah, at least for the Black Riders see them and they see them and they both see each other and, and can sort of interact. There's like a little part where, you know, they, Frodo sees one, you know, crawling, but it's, you know, he, he has an idea well, that it they saw him, but there's not a, yeah, like you said, it's not a mutual mm. standoff. Um, yeah. But yeah, but the, but these woods, they are actually, the woods themselves are a character in, in a way, or many characters, if you like to think about it that way. They have their own will and they, they hate these hobbits. Um, they try. They try to, you know, trip them. They try to throw branches at them. You know, although I don't. I don't know. Like, well, I guess you're right that they hate them. This maybe isn't the best example, but I was thinking the whole time that this is less a case of like sheer antagonism, or I, I guess I mean to say the woods, the old forest is not evil, right? Right. And so I guess this isn't maybe the best example of this but in general throughout Tolkien you see the sort of trope of places being not the place of places being perilous which is different from places being evil so Mordor when they get there is evil that that land is antagonistic to them and it's, it's just sheer evil we'll get to places like Lorien which is a much better example of this I guess than than the old forest is in places like Fangorn as well where it's it's not evil, but it is perilous. It is dangerous. You can't really just go in there and expect to just sort of come out unscathed. But yeah, I think you know something. And, but, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, the old forest isn't maybe quite at those levels because there is an antagonism here. I guess of they would rather the hobbits be kicked out of the forest than be in it. But I guess maybe that recognition that they aren't. They're not working for Sauron. There's no right. evil in these in these woods. They're not. They're not. They don't want the hobbits gone because they hate good things. They just don't trust anything that isn't a treat. <laughs> so, well, I think they want them out. That's kind of an important part of uh, of what this chapter does. Is it sets up it sets up how it, there are uh, other characters where Tolkien makes it very clear it is not just Sauron versus Gandalf and friends, um, and that's the whole world. It's very clear that there are characters that are the eagles for example which are just wild beings mm. that are not you know it's not as simple as just good versus evil yeah it's like a more dynamic world where there isn't just two sides to this there are all kinds of there are several third parties to the conflict right and the old forest is one of them tom bombadil is one of them too all these other agents in the world that don't really play a part in the bigger conflict and you know the characters have to sort of figure out what to do with with them well let's see do we have do we have much to say else about the role of the forest here before we move on to mr bombadil um not before i get that's all i have to say about the forest i think yeah that's all i have to say about the forest i think it's it's time it's time let's deal with this tom bombadil what's the deal okay so i i have a hot take on tom bombadil so i want you to go first how do you Ooh. take how do you take this character I take this. I mean, that's a huge question, though. Like this character is. I mean, for a character that's only in a couple of chapters, he is huge, and like his presence just sort of looms over the book, and it 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 really does because I mean they'll mention him in the Council of Elrond to be like, 
what if, what if we give this to Tom Bombadil and we'll have Gandalf toward the end of the book say, like, I should go chat with Tom Bombadil. It's been a while since I've talked to Tom Bombadil and I'd love to have a chat with him. I mean, he's just, he's always kind of there. Uh, and Frodo's, in the chapter that's to come, Frodo will have a dream in Tom Bombadil's house that ends up being this, like, the single most important foreshadowing dream of the book. So he, he casts a large shadow and it's, it's such a can of worms to open up like oh what it what do you take what do you think of tom bombadil and so i'm not quite sure where to start at least not in this chapter but well maybe i can maybe i can ask you this let's talk about what we're not interested about in tom bombadil um Charlie, oh yeah yeah maybe you, you know can what? take take some of this because you've seen it you know like uh online and in other discussions yeah yeah i I find the conversations that you see, like it, it seems that so many people who talk about Tolkien are, are more interested in figuring out where Bombadil fits in with the sort of cosmology of of Tolkien's world, right? So which rank of deity is he kind of questions. And I, I don't find those conversations particularly interesting, to be honest. And... Because I, I don't think there's a good answer. It seems like he's just in here almost to throw a wrench in any of your sort of like designs of, oh, well, Middle-earth has to be very orderly and, and everybody has to have a sort of rank in place. You have a class I, I, and you have yeah. a, you know, a profession. And... Yeah. And Bombadil is just not going to fit in there, I don't think. I think what's more interesting to me is what is the thematic purpose of Bombadil? Like, what's the message? Because... As I said, he casts a long shadow over this whole book in a way. He's there's a point to him, right? And it's really hard to pick up what that point is, but I, I think it is there. Let me just say this, I guess. The the first hint, I guess, to my take on Bombadil, uh, is this. We we're introduced to him coming like just hopping along as he does. <laughs> um and he's singing, right? And he sings his silly, goofy songs. My big takeaway, though, actually, is less the song that he's just singing explicitly while he's hopping along, and more just like when he's talking to the hobbits and they're talking to him. When he speaks in prose, it still sounds like he's singing. There's almost still a meter to it all that isn't quite like any other character in the book. And I think that's a big hint. Essentially, Tom Bombadil can't talk without singing. Right? Right. So some of his first, let's see, actually, I think his very first lines he says that aren't poems or songs, he says, Now, my little fellows, where be you a going to, puffing up like a bellows? What's the matter here then? Do you know who I am? I'm Tom Bombadil. Tell me what's your trouble. And I think it kind of loses it at the end, but you could start to hear it as it goes. It, it sounds like a song in itself, in a way. And he continues, like when he tells Old Man Willow to let let go of Pippin. He's he, old man. Willow, this tree has swallowed Pippin, the Hobbit, into it, inside of him, and and he says, "What be you a thinking of? You should not be waking. Eat earth, dig deep, drink water, go to sleep." Bombadil is talking. Like it sounds like a poem, even though it's not. And uh, I'll have more thoughts on this next chapter, I think. But that to me is key. That Bombadil is is connected in some way to song and music. What do you think about Bombadil? Well, yeah, I guess I've been kind of building up, but here it is. 
here's how I I read Tom Bombadil. I see Bombadil as nature. And so what I mean is I don't think of him as trees and animals and you know plants and that sort of thing. I think him more about him as the the physics of the world or just kind of the natural way that the world is. And kind of how I see this is that he or at least something that supports that in, in my mind is he always speaks in song, right? So something that you just mentioned is he can't stop from being involved in, in meter and in song. And we know that Middle-earth, its existence really, uh, it is a song of the of its god, Iluvatar. And so the Although world it's itself... it's worth mentioning, when you read, if you read this book, if you read this book, sorry. You wouldn't know. When it was came out, you wouldn't have known You wouldn't that. know that, right. Yeah. But so I do see him as, you know, involved in song in that way. I see his relationship with Goldberry as the relationship between the natural way the world is and how its relationship with life. I see Goldberry's kind of life being in the world and sort of that their relationship as a relationship between, for lack of a better way to say it, of physics and life. And so when I'm reading things about Bombadil, I'm reading about Tolkien's attitude about how the natural order of the world is structured and how it's and its relationship to uh, its relationship to life. Bombadil is some way uninterested. Well, I could I'll get more to that later, but that's just kind of how I'm starting it off. Yeah, I think we should just start wrapping this up. Do you have a favorite line from this chapter? I do. I like the very beginning. I think I get a very when the hobbits are waking up. It's like six a.m. and it's foggy and it's it's quiet and there's a line here about the hobbits on their way out of Grick Hollow. Um, the leaves of the trees were glistening and every twig was dripping. The gla- the grass was gray with cold dew. Everything was still and far away noises seemed near and clear. Fowls chattering in a yard. Someone closing a door of a distant house. And I just get a very clear image of being in that early morning before everyone else is awake and you know every sound is just a uh, you know, very important moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always think Tolkien's really is actually really good at describing the environment around people and really getting you in the scene. I think that's a great line. I had it underlined as well in my copy. My favorite line comes from a song, uh, and it's not Tom Bombadil's song, so <laughs> it's not Ring a Doll Dillo, so uh, don't worry there. But um, there's a song Frodo sings when they enter the forest and the hobbits feel sort of lost. And it says, Frodo sings, O wanderers in the shadowed land, despair not, for though dark they stand, all woods there be must end at last. And there's more to the song, but those three lines sort of stuck out to me. One thing that that sticks out to me there is uh, the Lord of the Rings seems to represent a worldview that we don't think about very often anymore in our modern context, but the worldview that uh, forests are dangerous places. I think now in our sort of like post-romantic and, you know, national park world, we just, we tend to just think of forests as just nice and pleasant, right? Just nice escapes from the city. But it's good to sometimes get that reminder of the pre-modern view of things where they were, they were dangerous and they were awful. So I just I appreciate that little reminder sometimes to uh, sort of respect the forest maybe a little <laughs> bit more than I think we do in the modern world. 
Well, okay, I think that about wraps it up for Chapter 6. Uh, join us next time for Chapter 7, In the House of Tom Bombadil. Ah, uh, more Tom Bombadil. More okay. Tom Bombadil. <laughs> more Tom Bombadil. I love Tom. I'm sorry. I take that back. <laughs>